Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I've been saying it for years. This is our longest running series, Season 9, Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. And we have fans all over the world who want to hear our experts, our specialists, our consultants, our professionals talk about financial excellence for your company. It may be hard these days to see the way to the end of that tunnel, but we are trying our best to give you some great insights. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of the normal show, where we have some discussion statements on a specific topic and we go around the table and have everybody come. And I have three experts today, Birgit Starmans, one of the sponsors of the series. We're always thrilled to have Birgit on the show. You want to come on more often, Birgit. We have Pras Chatterjee, another person behind the scenes on this series <laughs> who's done great. And Kevin McCollum, who reminds me that he was helping to support a recent show and he's been on many times over the years. And I'm going to ask them for the real stories behind the headlines, the real stories about the topics that are near and dear to them. So planning, got to do it. Finance, yep, and risk, OMG, in the news. So they have selected, each have sent me, each has sent me three headlines, and I'm going to ask them after we go through the introductions. Yes, I know you all know them, but we'll introduce anyway. And their opening quotes, which are a lot of fun. And then we will ask each of them to explain the story behind the headlines. And just to to tickle the interest of our listeners, um, just let me give you a couple of headlines. I'm just going to throw them out here. Is working remotely the future of finance? Very important. Temporary layoffs just became permanent for millions of American workers, and I suspect around the world too. And stock futures point higher after a chaotic weekend, and that references an awful lot of things in the news. How CFOs can be better leaders in the age of COVID-19, that will strike a chord with every company out there. So if your CFO isn't listening to the show live, you tell him or her they got to listen after to the on-demand version. So let's go around the table and let's ask my panelists to please, just in case Birgit Starman's is three people in the world who don't know who you are, which would be unimaginable. But just in case, why don't you talk to them? Birgit, reintroduce yourself to the world and tell us a little bit about your thought about the headlines, not your particular headlines, but in general, how our topics today are making the headlines, even if people don't know it yet. Birgit, welcome. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you for the nice introduction. So I'm with the Global Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk, and I'm focused a lot on thought leadership right now. So basically looking at what, what the trends are, and it's very interesting at times like these because all of a sudden it's not just about products and features and functions, but it's really more about strategically looking forward. So to me, always software is kind of a tool to help support you, but it's really what are the topics that is top that are top of mind. And just the headlines right now, obviously we just look at the world around us. And if you look at finance organizations, they have to change. They never thought that they would be able to for example, close books without being in the office. So that's a huge shift. And what I love is that finance used to be kind of last when it came to adopting new technologies. And now they're really at the forefront. And in part right now, it's because of necessity, but they've gotten more comfortable with technology over the years. So it's really great to see that they're anxious to get out there and leverage the new technology so that they can be more analytical, so they can build more relationships with other C-levels and you know, their partners. 
Thank you, Birgit. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Lovely to see you. By the way, to our listeners, I'm on Zoom, which we've been doing for about eight months now, and it just makes the show so much more, I use the word nuanced, I can see my panelists think. I'm watching Kevin McCollum saying, oh, yeah, she's watching me think. Okay. And Pras is smiling, and Pras, you're up next. Pras, in case there are 2.4 people who don't remember who you are, it's your turn to refresh their memory, and what's your overview on the news on your topics in the headlines. Pras, welcome. Sure, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me again on the show. And uh, hi again, everybody. Um, so again, my name is Pras Chatterjee. I'm part of uh, the product marketing team at SAP, focusing on uh, planning and analysis, really helping uh, our customers do better budgeting and forecasting and help make better decisions. Uh, in terms of headlines, I mean, really what I've been trying to empower the finance audience and especially planners with in this day and age is the fact that uh, it's really for them to make better decisions. Every headline, every uh, upswing, downtick, or something, you know, as Kevin mentioned in the market or whatnot, um, everything leads to organizations having to make better decisions. And these decisions ultimately, um, you know, affect their bottom line, their shareholder value, and what they can do with their end customers. Uh, So that's what I'm here to discuss and uh, really excited about it. Thank you very much, Pras. Welcome back. And let's go to Kevin McCollum. Kevin, I don't remember how long ago you were on, but I have to tell everybody, Kevin is using the new Zoom virtual special features. And Kevin is inside of a a vintage television set with two dials on the right-hand side. One has channels 1 through 13. And and there was no channel 1, if I remember correctly. And one has a volume that goes from 1 to 9. And that's it. And he's in a stadium of some kind of sport. I'm going to let him. It looks like football to me. I'm not going to guess. Kevin McCollum, welcome back. Please reintroduce yourself. There might be four people who don't remember you. That's my guess. Kevin. Vintage? Vintage? What's vintage about that? I got one of those in my living room right now, Bonnie. Well, I guess I'm vintage then, too. So, uh, hey, Bonnie, great to be back. Uh, Kevin McCollum, not inside any stadium, but for all of you in Ann Arbor and Columbus, Go Blue. That is the big house, Michigan Stadium, the world's largest sports venue when you exclude the stadium in Pyongyang, North Korea, and any race car racing venue, the world's largest sports venue. Okay, so uh, enough of that. And um, so Kevin McCollum, I run the uh, global COE for finance, risk, security, uh, and billing, a very important topic in SAP, and and we're uh, not talking products or not doing commercials. I, I know that. I just, that's my title. Um, <laughs> so, um, so what's behind the headlines? Well, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. And it, it, just the, Pras mentioned the, the market as a statistic, it, it, can anybody tell where the market's going to go? Does it really reflect the state of business right now? Uh, maybe for some companies, but uh, where this ends, we're right in the middle of planning season, and where this ends right now um, is anybody's guess. So that that means that strategic planning and being able to do it in a risk-adjusted manner and do it flexibly is the watchword of the day. So that's what's behind the news, knowing how to adapt. Thank you very much, Kevin. I had forgotten your wonderful sense of humor. Shame on me. Here you are. <laughs> Thank you very much. Go blue. 
Okay, so now let's go to the part of the show where my guests have sent me quotes. And Birgit, you sent me two quotes, and I'm going to go with the second one because I absolutely ah. like to make up her mind. And the second quote is from the movie The Princess Bride. And I'm just going to say quickly, The Princess Bride, 1987 American fantasy adventure comedy film. That's a lot of genres in there. Directed and co-produced by Rob Reiner, starring a guest list of unbelievable people. And it tells the story of a farmhand named Wesley accompanied by his companions befriended along the way who must rescue his true love princess buttercup i hope i said that right from the odious prince humperdinck the film presents the story as a book being read by a grandfather peter falk that's surprising to a sick grandson fred savage okay it's two-part quote first one is wallace sean one of my favorite actors he's on young sheldon by the way he plays a science professor vizzini played by wallace sean he says he didn't fail inconceivable and inigo played by the wonderful inimitable mandy patingan says you keep using that word i do not think it means what you think it means so the quote is inconceivable Birgit, what does this have to do with well where we're talking about the headlines here in the era of the pandemic Birgit, talk to me well the fact that this actually happened was really inconceivable to anybody at any point in time but I, I see a lot of buzzwords going around, and this is why the quote struck me. Everybody always says these times are unprecedented. I don't know. There was a Spanish flu in 1918. There was a plague. So that's precedented, and everybody keeps throwing around the word um, it's unprecedented. The other thing I keep hearing is the new normal, which I think we were using as a tagline about 10 years ago. <laughs> so... <laughs> The new normal is the old normal, and <laughs> yeah, so um, people keep saying it's the new so new normal, and yeah, just like inconceivable. I don't think we all know what that means. We hear it in the newscast one time, and it kind of proliferates, it goes viral, but a lot of these words have been here before, so nothing is really unprecedented. Apparently, things need to be conceived that we never thought of. And that's why that quote just struck me. I mean, I, I have a whole list of words that you know, are in the news right now that we've used over the years. So it's quite entertaining sometimes. Very good. I have to tell you, my favorite French quote, which I wasn't sure applied anymore, is plus ça change, plus LMM shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think you just refreshed the validity of that quote. Thank you, Inconceivable. It's, I, I had uh, a guest on another show the other day at a different Game Changers show, had another one-word quote, and it was plastics. Does anybody remember? That's the number 42 most popular famous line from any American movie. Does anybody remember what movie plastics came from? No. Kevin, you wouldn't know? Uh-uh. The Graduate. Mr. Uh -huh. McGuire said to Ben Braddock, played by Dustin Hoffman, he said, listen, something like, listen, young man, I have one word. If you only hear one word, he said to the graduate, what's that word? Plastics. That's the future is plastics. <laughs> so plastics is one of the very few one word memorable movie lines. And I think inconceivable is probably going to probably going to challenge that for popularity, Birgit. So thank you for bringing that to us. I appreciate it. Let's go to Pras. Pras has sent Oh, a quote from Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Star Wars, American epic space opera media franchise 
created by, of course, George Lucas, began with the eponymous 1977 film and quickly became a worldwide pop culture phenomenon. Obi-Wan Kenobi, also known as Ben Kenobi, if you were a good friend on the inner circle. Hey, Ben Kenobi is a character in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, He was a Jedi master portrayed by the late English actor Alex Guinness. He was a mentor to Luke Skywalker, to whom he introduces the ways of the Jedi. Okay, and here is the quote. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. I want to say amen to that. Pras, how does this apply to our look at the headlines today? Go ahead, Pras. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, you know, when I thought about that uh, quote, it really brought me to where finance is now. I mean, first of all, I just want to make it clear, as you mentioned, Bonnie, I'm talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Alice Guinness format, uh, Alec Guinness format, not the, uh, the new Star Wars format. I'm thinking about the wise old sage. And I think the advice the wise old sage gives is quite true, because uh, when it comes to finance individuals, especially in the planning analysis format, uh, one thing I've been saying over and over again about this audience is that uh, they tend to state the obvious work in a very really scheduled manner and just uh, really stick with the status quo. And as uh, Birgit pointed out, uh, the reason why we're here is that things aren't normal right now. There's a lot of change, a lot of disruption, a lot of things all over the place. And you really can't just take things for granted. Uh, You know, we saw with a lot of the finance audience, especially with planners, the reasons their forecasts weren't um, reflected the way, whether it's up and down, sideways, was because things had changed. Supply chains had uh, fallen, you know, um, all over the all over themselves. Um, you know, employees were no longer there. Sales channels had dried up, and so it was just no longer consistent. Or you know, it didn't make sense just to state the obvious and really use your eyes to um, you know just state what you th- you know what you think and what was you know trending from the past previous years or what the previous normal was. It really is a new normal. And I know, Birgit, we've been talking about that for 10 years, but this is some crazy normal that we're in right now. Uh, so with that in mind, I mean, I think for finance audiences, and uh, there's a lot that they can do to really you go beyond their eyes. There's uh, machine learning, predictive uh, technologies that helps them gain better insights into their data. Um, there's tons of data out there that it tells a better story. And I really want uh, the finance audience to go behind, behind like beyond what their eyes state and really dig into the story and use technology to bring it all together um, and st- state a better story um, using all and, you know, stitch it all together. So they're that much more valuable to their business. Thank you, Pras. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, what intrigues me and we did put together, Oh, we've, Oh, okay. I know what Kevin was doing. I can see in the listeners camp, but yes, I'll tell it in a second. Uh, what's interesting is that we read headlines and we sometimes they, there's a phrase in the news called burying the lead where I'll see a headline and I have to read nine paragraphs down until they bring up why that was the headline. But what we're talking about today is how there are finance implications to a lot of the stories, right? And that people might not get that. They might not see that. That might not be the point of the article from the perspective of the writer, the the reporter. But there's news in there, and that's very important. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, Kevin. Kevin has prepared in the background the character of Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine. Alfred E. Newman, N-E-U-M-A-N, is the fictitious mascot and cover boy the cover girl, cover boy, okay, of the American humor magazine, Mad. His distinct face with his parted red hair. Hey, my hair is almost as red as his. His gap-toothed smile, his freckles, his protruding nose, and his scrawny body. First emerged in U.S. iconography decades prior to his association with the magazine. I don't know if you knew this, Kevin. He appeared in 20th century advertisements for painless 
dentistry. The origin of his, here's the line, what me worry? Motto, he appeared in the early 1930s on a presidential campaign postcard that said, sure, I'm for Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) Since his debut in Mad Magazine, Newman's likeness has appeared on the cover of all but a handful of their 550 issues. He's always been portrayed, I don't know if you know this, front view, silhouette, or directly from behind. There's certain ways that they have not portrayed him. So, of course, the quote is, what me worry? Kevin McCollum. How did you pick that for our topic today? Go ahead, Kevin. I love it. Come on. Everybody needs a little Alfred E. Newman in their life right now, (laughs) right? But he does. Okay, first of all, let's talk about it, uh, about Alfred E. Newman, the face, the smile, the eyes, iconic, second only to the Mona Lisa in how much impact he's had on the world, right? I mean, I would personally not go a week without opening a mad magazine. But at any rate, uh, we all need a little what me worry spirit right now. So my mantra is don't worry, anticipate, plan, have flexibility and risk built into your plan. And then you too can say, what me worry? I don't worry. I have contingency plans. So that's what Alfred is telling me. And that's why his picture is enshrined on my man cave wall right next to my drum set. All right. That, that's what I, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Kevin and I just discovered we're both drummers. We have to talk after the show. This is great. Thank Kevin. I don't remember you having this level of sense of humor. I really don't in previous shows. Were you hiding it? Uh, suppressing it. Suppressing. Um, but now it just, it just, comes out on its own. You Why know, not? I, I, I was, yeah. And so. Kevin is thinking, I'll show my sense of humor today. What, me worry? They're going to love me. Okay, we got that one. So now that we've dispensed or we have got, had our, our uh, panelists introducing themselves again and we've had their quotes, then we're going to get to our finally, the point of the show, which is the headline. So, Birgit, I'm going to start with yours. This is a, a headline from CFO.com. How appropriate. I'm just going to read the headline and have you take about two to three minutes, tell us what it means, what's the implication for our financial excellence audience. And then I will just simply say to Pras and Kevin, any comments? And it's up to you, gentlemen, if you want to add anything. If not, we'll just pass. And then I'll have a, I have a headline next from Pras and then one from Kevin. And we'll just keep going around the table and we should be able to fill the hours. So here's the first headline from Birgit is working remotely, the future of finance from CFO.com. Birgit Starmans, you're up first. Talk to me. What is the real story? Go ahead. I mentioned a little bit of this in in the introduction as well. Finance never thought that they could do anything from home. So I don't know if it is sometimes because of security. They wanted to be able to look over people's shoulders as they were working. Um, There's definitely something to be said to just turn around and ask a colleague a quick question. But uh, the shelter from home or whatever you want to call it, stay at home orders in most places actually happened pretty close to the end of the first quarter. So if you're on a normal calendar fiscal year, so basically it's not just the month end or period close that finance had to deal with. All of a sudden everybody is working from home and they're trying to close the books for the actual quarter, which has to legally be reported. So there was a big scramble initially. So there are a couple of things that happened. I mean, they had to work from home. They had to make the technology work. 
And they had to actually trust the whole access because one of the things always has been security of financial information and making sure that doesn't get leaked, that doesn't get hacked. But I would say, again, finance has more of a comfort factor right now. And they are turning more towards technology to do automation so that people in finance and risk can actually spend more time looking at exceptions versus having to go through almost every transaction uh, manually if it's outside of a tolerance level. But that's why we have some things like machine learning, for example. And finance has found that they can actually close the books. And a lot of companies are actually closing them faster than when they were in the office. So there are a couple of surveys that happened. So the one from CFO.com actually indicates that basically a portion of the workforce in finance is going to continue working from home. Maybe about a quarter, a quarter of them said zero, but everybody else said that there's going to be some percentage of their teams that are going to continue to work from home permanently. And I think Gartner actually came up with the statistics of 74% said that that's going to be the case. So there are some things that are easier, faster. We have more automation. So we don't have to, as, as Kevin once called it, use sneaker nets to basically take information from one place to the next. But there's automation. There's no more 10-finger integration of typing things in. So for that reason, it's actually possible to do that. And then actually, I'm assuming that there's going to be more peace and quiet for finance teams to actually look at the analytics and be able to communicate more. So they've been able to make technology work from them. And it's really interesting to see that so many organizations are planning to keep it that way. And yeah, I really like that concept. And you know, we've all kind of flocked to, to different communication styles. I find that everybody turns on their cameras more often when we just mm-hmm. used to be sitting on the phone. So that's actually kind of a nice thing. And you can actually see more people that are located across the world. So that way I get to see Pros and Kevin and you, Bonnie, even though you guys are not on the West Coast. <laughs> but I think that it was something that nobody thought that was going to be possible. And all of a sudden, within two to three weeks, it had to happen. So this is kind of the ultimate in change management. Normally, you want to get in front of it here. It was just kind of catching up. But a lot of organizations, I would say most organizations have made that work, at least from a financial team perspective. I mean, that's kind of not considering all the other chaos that's going on around us, but at least they were able to close the books. Thank you, Birgit. Fascinating. Two things come to my mind. One is Vizzini. Inconceivable. That's what people thought, right? Eight months ago. Inconceivable. People working from home, closing the books faster, better. And the other one is necessity is the mother of innovation. I made a little little change to that one, right? Because it became a necessity. And look at what it's going to do. And of course, there's a ripple effect on what it does to people in their jobs and office buildings and all kinds of implications. So anything you want to add, Pras or Kevin, to Birgit's uh, first headline? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I thought of was, uh, I think Birgit mentioned that Gardner said that uh, uh, 74% of organizations uh, tend to will uh, feel that they'll continue in this manner, uh, which makes sense. But it makes me also feel sorry for that 26% who clearly you're not going to go down this road because, uh, you know, I think back to my days in finance and, you know, and I look at uh, what Birgit described and how I just wasted so much time. I mean, I just remember when I'd close the books, I sit around waiting. And then once I close the books, I'd print out a deck, I'd hand out a deck to people or send out PowerPoints. Then we'd all walk into a profit day meeting and we'd send there talking about, you know, what happened, each little line item, each variance for the month. But, you know, before we start that meeting, we waste 10, 15 minutes just catching up, chit-chatting. And really what's happened with, you know, Zoom and other teams and Slack or whatnot is we're cutting to the chase, getting to the point. And 
it really makes me feel bad for those 26% of organizations who don't think this is normal because that just means that they're ready. They're like an elastic. They're ready to bounce back to what they were doing before. And uh, clearly they haven't learned any lessons or maybe something's stopping them. But uh, yeah, I, ju- I just hope they have a good excuse. Well, that was pretty straightforward, Press. I hope they have a good excuse. Everybody around the world listening, Press said it, straight shooter. Kevin McCollum, anything you want to add to this one? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I heard a quote somewhere that the, that the future isn't on your time schedule and it arrived ahead of schedule this time. And I thought that was kind of neat. And to be honest with you, to take off a, a little bit on your theme about innovation, I have been amazed by the innovation that has popped up as a result of the pandemic. Uh, a lot of the things that Birgit has mentioned uh, were made possible by investments that had already been made. It, it, going into that article, you can see a lot of folks, have, you know, we were, we were working toward a future in the cloud. We were working toward a future where these processes were automated or were leveraging predictive or machine learning. Now they're recouping those investments. I think that hits the accelerator in the, in the Tesla to the future. And also things like virtual whiteboarding, that one's been around a while but virtual brainstorming with little post-it notes in real time. And it's just a flawless, there are several applications out there, but it's just a flawless application. Um, I happen to be a person, one of my personal favorites is uh, virtual wine bars or virtual cocktails. I mean, if you're in the wine business, you are cleaning up right now. So not all businesses are, are, are down. Um, so having said that, I do think that, human beings are social. It's, it's wired into our DNA. People who go into isolation, you know, go into solitary confinement, they, they lose their marbles, right? We need our peeps. And so there has to be a way to continue to bridge that gap. And uh, we're getting there through technology. And I think there'll also be a fragment of people who are always working out of the office or working on the front line. And thanks to those heroes who worked on the front line. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, and Birgit, thank you for a great starter headline. I didn't think we'd have such a robust roundtable on that one, but we did. So we'll see how many we get through. We don't have to cover all nine, but let's see where we go. Pras is next. Pras has a quote from knowledge.wharton.upin.edu. And the title of the headline, the headline is, How CFOs Can Be Better Leaders in the Age of COVID-19. Pras, talk to us. What did this headline say to you? Um, this headline really said to me that, um, you know, in terms of the way the finance function is often viewed, uh, sometimes they're viewed as, or many times they're viewed as uh, a supporting function versus strategic function. In fact, uh, uh, earlier this year, just before the COVID crisis, I did a uh, survey with FPNA Trends where we interviewed finance directors and CFOs. And I think overwhelmingly 60 or 70% of them came back saying that they weren't viewed as strategic, uh, which was very shocking to me because uh, to me, they should be the most strategic. And what came out was that part of the reason that they weren't being viewed as strategic actually impacted their uh, inability to invest in technology because they couldn't make justifications. 
well, all of a sudden this crisis comes up and during this crisis, everybody turns to finance. I mean, I think McKinsey pointed out that finance is one of the most uh, valuable functions in the organization because uh, you need them to model, to come up with different scenarios and to really highlight what's about to happen and what's not about to happen. And, uh, you know, people come to finance and saying, okay, well, if we take X course of action with Y impact with different permutations and combinations, what's the impact of this? Previously, the finance function might have said, well, what I used to say when I was in finance, I'll get back to you and I'll get back to you might be two, three, four days, but we don't have enough time to say, I'll get back to you. We have to get back to them immediately. So in my case, I was probably the worst financial analyst. Uh, But again, most CFOs didn't have the luxury. And uh, judging from some of the conversations we had with a lot of the customers that weren't best in class, they went through this path whereby uh, they were requested to come up with scenarios, models, um, you know, do they exhaust their credit lines? Do they furlough employees? Uh, what's the impact of losing the supply chain? Uh, what's the impact of, uh, you know, uh, moving into different sales lines or whatnot? And if you can't bring them all together and come up with a roadmap, a story in terms of what's the best course of action to take, well, ultimately, I mean, as a CFO, you're not giving the best direction. So this is why the CFO, to me, came out as being the most important function if they actually, you know, grasped at that opportunity. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see as you know, this comes out and, you know, maybe once this first wave passes or we're at past the second wave, how many organizations actually and finance departments actually grasp at the opportunity to reinvent themselves and become the most important function in their organization. Thank you, Pras. Very interesting. And as I said at the beginning, uh, when I mentioned the source of this headline from you, if you're not a CFO, but you know one who isn't listening, they have to listen to the show because this is good information. Kevin Birgit, anything you want to comment on process headline? Kevin, I'll ask you first. Sure. Um, I, I, first of all, I'll go with the CFO as well. The all- the ne- he, that role is the nexus of, of, of what goes, all roads go through the CFO and the CFO has to be on his game. And uh, you can tell CFOs who are on their game because they're true leaders. They speak in the press. I, I'm personally quite proud of uh, our own CFO who um, was, was, very keen to let us know how we had modernized our own finance at SAP. So, um, but I wanted to pull one thing out. Uh, I wanted to point out one thing from Pras very quickly here, and that is scenario planning, scenario modeling. Know it, live it. Uh, uh, frankly, I'd heard it used. I had I'd heard other u- names used. Even if you do it on a piece of paper, know it and live it. But use the tools and capabilities you have to model out scenarios. It's free. Modeling a train wreck is free. When the train wreck happens, it gets really expensive. So know what's a train wreck and what isn't a train wreck. Know and live the scenario modeling part, um, discipline around planning. Wow. Words of advice there. Wisdom. Birgit, you want to chime in on anything on CFOs and or worst case scenario planning? I'm going to chime in on the CFOs because the messages that I've been seeing, um, not just in this headline, but in multiple headlines, are that CFOs are actually looking at 
the health of the employees, the well-being of employees. And one of our customers, CFOs, actually made a comment about the mental health of the employees and the finance team. So I thought that was actually a pretty incredible spin on it, that it's not just about the numbers, but finance is really getting involved and in really thinking about the people and the impact that you know, this crisis is having on its people. So that, to me, I thought was actually really great. And then also there, CFOs are really good at building relationships. In my background in product costing, it kind of brought together finance and manufacturing. And that's kind of what CFOs are doing, right? So they're bringing in all sorts of people. And that's really the central hub where everything, kind of the rubber meets the road, right? So sometimes sales and manufacturing don't talk to one another, but they will talk to the CFO because they need a sign off. <laughs> so everybody has to talk to the CFO. So it becomes that relationship person that's really really at the center of things. So, and, and that empathy that I'm seeing CFOs show and then mm -hmm. them being actually involved with the other C-level folks is, is pretty incredible that they're really becoming the linchpin. Thank you very much, Pras. Great headline. Thank you. Sparked a wonderful conversation. Anything you want to add, Pras, before I move on? Are you good? No, I'm good. Okay. I think we're all good. Let's go to I want to say prediction. Headline number three, Kevin found this one in BBC.com. And the headline, coronavirus, five firms booming despite the lockdown. I peeked at the article. Very interesting. I think you already mentioned one of those industries, Kevin. So yeah. <laughs> drink up. Kevin, Kevin expand yeah. please. Go ahead. <laughs> It's only nine o'clock and oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, not going to go for the scotch yet. I'm going to start with wine. Um, so uh, yeah, mentioned wine, virtual wine tasting, virtual wine bars and whatnot. Um, first of all, the background as to why I chose this, chose this headline because I challenged myself to find something that was upbeat and not, um, throwing the P word out every, every other sentence in, in pandemic, this pandemic, that, and um, you know, there is a silver lining here. The pandemic is a forcing function, right? It's forcing us to realize that the future isn't on our time schedule. And um, while there are some structural reasons why these organizations, the opportunity is now for them, um, the, 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 there's a story behind that. And that is that, had they not have been able to seize the opportunity to increase production, to, um, to, to, to coordinate their supply chain, to coordinate their distribution chain. I mean, this doesn't just happen by accident. These organizations were on their game. They understood what, um, maybe not this particular scenario, but they understood what made their, what, what made their market tick. And they did that through analyzing and digging in on that market um, and looking at insights and not just gobbledygook data that reinforced their current aspirational plan. They knew where that, how to get to that aspiration and where it led because probably they're doing scenario modeling of some sort or some type of planning in advance and, charting the course. So um, that and Netflix, right? So you had me at Netflix. Um, and, uh, and, and, and honestly, we all know the growth story about Netflix, a very switched on company and just doing everything right. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you very, very much. It looks like Birgit just messaged me. It looks like I took all three of her headlines and passed them around the table. And I'm sorry, but you all handled them with such great gracefulness. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, Birgit. I thought I divided them up, and oh my goodness, here we are. Pras, I'm really going to do one of your headlines next. Birgit, let me do one from Pras, okay? Uh, so this one uh, is... Can I actually say something about yeah. that one? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, one of the reasons that I was thinking about that is there are companies that are coming up with new business models that they might not have come up previously. So I think sometimes the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, they become kind of the poster child for a new business model where everybody thought that, oh my, you're never going to replace a taxi or limo service or anything like that. And there are people coming up with new business models. And right now, a lot of it has to do with, well, what do people do when they sit at home? Because <laughs> they're really not going out. And I would say some industries are actually struggling a little bit more. Um, I was actually talking with an analyst yesterday in preparation for a podcast. And yeah, I was even saying things like arts and entertainment. And he's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. So, I mean, the wine tasting would go as part of entertainment, right? <laughs> but a lot, I mean, if you think of Cirque du Soleil, they completely shut down. But then a lot of fitness and gyms, they're doing things online now. Now, granted, we can't all put the equipment into our homes. I don't have space for it. But it's interesting how a lot of industries have become very creative and they are developing new business models because they're forced to. And maybe they're not trying to do their work specifically from home in the same way, but they're getting more creative in developing new processes and new business models that they can leverage going forward. Thank you. Process. Yeah, that was another one. Exercise services. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's another one that's perfect. So. I just, I just uh, binged on a brand new TV series called Emily in Paris. It's by Darren Starr, who produced Sex in the City. And uh, it's it, one of the producers. It was created by Darren Starr. Producers is Emily, uh, is uh, Lily Collins, who plays the lead character, Emily in Paris. And interesting, taught you about pivoting and being flexible. She is sent by an American marketing company to work where they've just gobbled up or bought a high-end luxury goods firm in Paris that is a marketing agency, a very, very high-end. And they don't like her for a million reasons besides the fact that she's American and they we do things differently in America. But interesting story came to mind about pivoting. Kevin, you'll appreciate this. She has a friend, an, uh, a woman who lives in her neighborhood in Paris, whose mother owns a winery, a vintage winery that makes champagne. And they have some, I don't know whether they're second quality grapes or they're grapes that they, it's a crop that they can't market as champagne, but they don't want to let it go to nothing. So she has a friend who moved from China to Paris to become a nanny, but she's really a blossoming, beautiful singer. And she has friends who came from China to celebrate her singing. They put her on stage, they rent a place for somebody's birthday, and they put her on stage and she sings and everybody's wowed. Then all of these young ladies who came from China, her friends, open up very, very expensive champagne, put their fingers over the bottle, and they spray each other with champagne. What does Lily do? Well, it's Emily. She goes back to the agency and she says, let's market the secondary champagne as a spray champagne, give it a new name, calling it Champere, P-E-R-E, like the father of champagne, and let's market it. That way the crop doesn't go to waste. The company gets a buzz on Instagram and everything popular. Young people can buy it at a reduced price. Clubs can sell it. The wine doesn't go to waste and everybody's happy and they love the idea. So talk about pivoting, right, Kevin? 
that it was and it, it's fictitious but i got to tell you it was such an example of taking a product taking something that doesn't have a market and bringing it into a popular culture that's timely which could be in any any culture anywhere in the world and saying you don't have to waste the product and we have an idea and everybody wins everybody wins sorry for the sidebar there but thank you very much so uh pros i have a headline for you unless you want to comment on this one pros you ready to move on um, I actually had a small comment. I mean, it's interesting to see um, industries. I think Kevin mentioned Netflix, but it's industry within the entertainment industry itself, companies that were able to pivot and that weren't able to pivot. Uh, you know, I came across a headline the other day that one of the major UK and uh, US uh, uh, movie um, houses, uh, they're shutting down all their cinemas because people aren't going. Um, and yet, you know, I, and I just wonder if they had you know, seen the future in the sense that there's other organizations within the same uh, framework that you know really went digital like you know you buy a Samsung TV and their app is there so the latest movies you can buy right from your app and obviously it might not be the same revenue stream you know it's unfortunate for a lot of these organizations that Disney put Mulan on Disney Plus but that wasn't always the case I mean a lot of organizations they had their apps on smart TVs and so if you're not going to go to the cinemas you, you and you know go out and buy the popcorn and everything you could watch it from the comfort of your own home so it showed the flexibility and resilience a lot of organizations had within the same industry of not, you know, letting the crisis affect them as much as it did for others. Thank you very much, Pras. And Pras, I'm going to keep you up here on the screen. I'm looking at one of your real headlines. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm sorry. I, got a mix. I thought I was being so smart. One from each. And you know what, Pras and Kevin, you were so gracious in handling Birgit's headlines. And Birgit didn't say anything. So oh, she picked you. some great ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> she actually did. I'm okay. We talked about all my topics. <laughs> there you go, Pras. And we had a good round. We didn't even expect a roundtable, but we did. Pras, here's one of yours. Temporary layoffs just became permanent for millions of American workers. Why don't you tackle this one, Press? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate on many levels. I think we all know people that have been impacted by this um, across the board at every level from top to bottom, from customer facing to internally. And uh, it's always a sad situation. Uh, you know, it obviously goes beyond just the organization. It affects families and it affects uh, people at the end of the day. Uh, but just going back to organizations, you know, I think about uh, the last Great Recession uh, in 2008, where organizations furloughed many people. A lot of these became permanent. Um, and a lot of people became very, a lot of organizations became very lean. And becoming lean meant that you, not only did you invest in your architecture, your systems, your uh, customers, your, um, your marketing campaigns or whatnot, but you also invested in your people. And these people really became a reflection of your organization. Um, these investments came through education, through their, you know, the ability for them to interact with your customers, the knowledge that they have internally. And when we talk about that, this crisis and what it did, it did in the sense that um, you know, there were obviously some temporary layoffs and these temporary layoffs became permanent. Uh, the reason this headline really appealed to me was, did it really have to be temporary? Did it really have to be permanent? Did organizations really tackle the element of workforce planning? Did they look at, you know, before they undertook this exercise, uh, was it made in a knee-jerk manner to, uh, uh, you know, really... Um, manage their bottom line or did they look at, you know, was it made to manage their earnings per share for the next quarter? Or are they thinking down the road in the sense that, okay, well, you know, maybe we bite the bullet now. Maybe we take government assistance and things like that and keep these resources on hand because obviously there's a personal impact, but there's also the impact on your continuity once this crisis passes. I mean, at the end of the day, there could be a vaccine in the next few 
and I mean, starting tomorrow to X period of time and things will eventually get back to normal. And when things get back to normal, like how do you get back to normal as an organization when you've actually, you know, made these layoffs and these people, uh, you know, to F, go from temporary to permanent. And now this knowledge base that you have is existing somewhere else and you have to rebuild from scratch. Thank you very much, Press. Good, good one. Let's go around the table. Birgit, anything you want to add to this one? Yeah, I, I think it's a huge problem right now because, yeah, it's once you lose good people, you, building them back up again is very difficult. I mean, I think historically it's always been better and to keep your employees and invest in your employees versus yeah, it's always more expensive to hire a new person and, and train them up. So I think that's, uh, I think a little bit short-sighted for some areas, especially for the larger companies. Um, some of the mom and pop shops, I mean, there's nothing you can really do, right? Because they can't make rents. And unfortunately, a lot of them have closed. But I think where the layoffs are in, in larger companies, uh, hopefully that will be permanent. I mean, not permanent. Hopefully that'll be temporary, but it's not looking good right now. It just reminds me of a story that um, a long time ago in consulting, uh, we couldn't use the word best practices because in the past that client had used best practices as a code word for firing people. So they would not be willing to look at best practices, so to speak, because they're all concerned about their jobs. And I think people don't really, they can't give their best if they go to work, if, they're, if they haven't lost their jobs, they can't really do their best if all, they're spending most of the time worrying about losing it, losing their job. Thank so. you very much. Uh, new, I call it the new abnormal. I'm sorry, I haven't gotten to the new normal yet. Uh, Kevin, anything you want to say about this one, about loss of jobs, getting people back, keeping people? So um, yeah, I watched a, a lot of companies do this extremely well during the crisis. I mean, and, and, and ongoing. I mean, and, and I'm going to mention a few of them. Samsung, Best Buy, um, Home Depot, all world-class companies that have world-class concern for their talent, kept them fresh, kept them you know, frontliners. Those were all considered essential. Well, Best Buy, not so much. Yeah, yes, Best Buy was also considered a frontline essential industry. Samsung had manufacturers reps who were working in Best Buy stores. Mm -hmm. So my point being here, they took almost a, a, a battlefield mentality to keeping their troops fresh, keeping reinforcements in background and caring about the individuals so they could be effective and function. This, this wasn't done by accident either. This was done by understanding the importance of your talent and keeping it ready to go in support of the customer. It wasn't in support of chasing uh, a, a profit gouging uh, situation. In fact, many of those companies lowered prices, kept health things steady, world-class, knows that you need to protect your talent. No question. Thank you very much. I, this reminds me of what is there's a, a phrase in business, uh, a practice that keeping a current customer happy is cheaper in the long run, upselling them, keeping them much in, less expensive and less timely, costing in every way than finding a brand new one, right? Onboarding somebody new. So keep keep your good people close to you. Anything else anybody wants to add to this one? Because I have another great headline here that actually is from Kevin. Pras, are you good with that one? I'm good. 
Thank you very much. Here's what Kevin said. He said, Walmart signs drone deals as it races to place cat play catch up with Amazon. How does this relate to our topic today? Kevin, what's the story behind the headlines? Go ahead. Uh, in, in so many ways, right? So I talked about innovation and, okay, drone deliveries were, you know, sort of a, a bit of the laughing stock, right? You know, right. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, the drone, uh, they're, they're going to find a drone to deliver my, I literally order 150 to 200 pounds of fertilizer through Amazon, right, to be delivered to my farm and, 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 and used. Um, what drone's going to deliver that? But scenarios like driver, delivering emergency COVID kits, right, mm-hmm. things to keep you from having to go out of the house. Again, the future is in our, is in our play, right in our faces right now. And the idea of Walmart, who says they have the edge in this case because they have 5,300 distribution centers called stores very close. Did you know that every American, or 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart? That's a huge advantage. Now they've got to get on the drone game, and they're getting on the drone bandwagon very quickly to do small deliveries that require quick time. And then once they've satisfied those types of things, prescriptions and whatnot, they also see a market for um, instant gratification. When you order something online, even though you're a prime member from Amazon, not to knock Amazon, I'm a prime member, have been for years and will continue to be. I'd still like to have it today, right? I'd still like, that's what I'd like to have. So this is all about, uh, you know, this is all about Walmart, um, no, this is all about the future coming quickly and forcing innovation. So there is a silver lining here. Thank you very much. Anybody want to comment on the drones before I try to squeeze in one more headline here? Birgit, anything you want to say? Yeah, actually, a really quick one, since I live in Silicon Valley. There is actually a little drone, not a flying one, a driving one, that is doing delivery, food delivery. And they, they kind of kicked this off during COVID. So I, I actually posted this on Instagram. Instagram. It's this, it's a, think of a square R2-D2. I'm serious. And he's got a little, little orange flag. And then he just, you know, drives along. And it, it was interesting watching it cross the street because it would wait for cars. It would actually wait for pedestrians. And I guess whoever was getting the delivery had to put in a code. But there were really people at the beginning of the COVID sheltering that did not want to leave the house, not even to go get food. And it was impossible to get some of the other delivery services because they were so overbooked. So they came up with this drone and the company's actually called StarTech. So... <laughs> They're all over Mountain View downtown. It's it, it's very cute, <laughs> but it's very functional too. And I think you, it fits quite a few meals in there. And one run, it has something like five to 10 meals that it can fit. So it's, it's happening in a lot of industries. Cool name. Very, very Star Tech. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> wow. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more, uh, pre- one more, I keep saying predictions headline. This one's from Pross Cloud versus on premise. And this is from the times of India.indiatimes.com. That's a long URL. Pross, you're up. Let's make this quick. We got five minutes to end the show. I need one minute to close. So Pross, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, effectively I stated the obvious. Um, I mean, there really should be, I mean, 
Um, if anything's been said or done over the last few months, it really comes down to cloud no longer on premise. Uh, you know, it was so sad that uh, we came across customers, especially in my space, where uh, everybody was sent home, obviously across the world, but people had to go back into their own internal data centers, reset servers and things like that, or do their do upgrades manually, which was just crazy. I mean, you know, we're talking about working rapidly, working quickly, working efficiently, and working in a safe manner. Clearly, there was nothing safe about what I just described in that sense. And uh, there's a one stat that came out to me. Uh, one of our, um, you know, obviously I work in the planning analysis space and I stated earlier how important the CFO it was uh, because the CFO had to, Mo uh, you know, really provide m uh, models of scenarios over and over again. One of our competitors talked openly about the fact that uh, they found that customers that were best in class with their cloud software, which we have as well, effectively did 30, scenario 30 to x scenarios based on what they did before meaning that they were planning for all sorts of iterations permutations and combinations of things that might or might not happen and all of this was powered by the fact that they were on the cloud because if they were on premise it would come down to how much capacity we have how much data do we have uh what can we do i mean do we have to call it or whatnot but because they were on the cloud they were really able to you know leverage their own internal best practices be a true finance department so there is no question. It's cloud and no, it's not cloud versus on-premise. Really, the headline should be cloud. Get rid of on-premise. Oh, okay. Quickly, let's get some quick comments around the table. I can give you each about 60 seconds instead of predictions. Kevin McCollum, thoughts? Couldn't agree more. Uh, one of Birgit's articles, um, one, uh, or I think it was Process article, stated that um, the coup de grace for being able to close the books was for Ulta Beauty was moving everything to the cloud so that they could get remote access in a safe way and all of those other things such as disaster recovery, uh, uh, replatforming systems, all that capital's freed up to do other things with. It's, it's about the cloud. Thank you very much. Birgit, you're up. Anything you want to add to this? I'm actually going to make the risk comment here. It's actually less risk um, to be in the cloud. If you think about the old ways where people were getting their computer hacks because there they were all these schemes to grab your computer in the computer in the airport checkout, right? So somebody could actually grab your laptop. And so the cloud is actually more secure if you think about it that way, with the backups that your company might not be doing. I've seen some companies who ran backups but never tried. Uh, tried to reinstall from a back backup. So they had some issues if something ever failed. So I would say cloud is actually more secure because you don't have to worry about anything. It's all there. Thank you very much. I can't thank the three of you enough for wonderful headlines and for jumping in and adding your thought leadership to interesting stories behind the headlines and interesting how you picked ones, of course, that all related to planning finance and bear get a little bit of risk. I'm going to ask you each for a one sentence prediction about any of these three topics, planning, finance, or risk. Birgit, I'll start with you. One sentence and not too many semicolons in it. Go ahead, Birgit, <laughs> then Pras, and then Kevin, because we got to wrap in about 90 seconds. So go ahead, Birgit, go. I'm going to use and a lot. I, I would say that people are getting more creative and getting more open-minded. So we can't just do things the way that we've always done them. I think it's really important now that we take this opportunity and try to find creative new ways of working because that's going to make us more creative. It's going to make us more efficient and it's going to make, make us more analytical going forwards. So it's Thank an opportunity. You. Pras, one sentence. 
planners are going to be a lot more flexible, not lot, no longer going to be scheduled in the way they do their budgets and forecasts. Things are going to be a lot more flexible next year, and they're going to plan for a much better 2021. How's that? Oh, we all want a much better 2021. Thank you, Kevin McCollum. One sentence. What do you got? And I know this will be near and dear to Birgit's heart. We cannot forget change management. We have to manage people through this process and help the, the world come along with the technology. Thank you very much. I want to thank the three of you for, I suggested this format. I thought it would be fun. You didn't have anything specific in mind and look at all of the ground we covered. Birgit, were you happy with this? Very happy. Thanks Good. for doing this. Thanks for the idea. It's well, awesome. My, my pleasure. Listen, we're all, we're all part of the same team. Kevin, it's wonderful to see you after first time I've seen you on Zoom. Pras and Birgit have done this with me many times. I want everybody to put your hands together for Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire, my sidekick at Voice America World Talk Radio, the business season and business series. And thank you very much, Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans and Pras Chatterjee for sponsoring this series. I'm so honored to work with all of you and looking forward to a very fun and, and much, Kevin. <laughs> much and Kevin, much better 2021. <laughs> And yay, 2021. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. My car is getting two and a half months to the gallon. I hope yours is doing just as well. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Birgit Starmans, just like Pras Chatterjee, and just like Kevin McCollum and Chris Grundy will add him too. Everybody wave goodbye. Have a great one. Be smart, be savvy, be safe. Wear your mask. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.